three, two, one. Hello, I'm James O'Loughlin. Welcome to Innovating for the Earth, the story of the development and use of new technology developed by Calix. It's technology that provides solutions to industry that can address global environmental and sustainability challenges such as crop protection, aquaculture, wastewater treatment, carbon reduction and more. And we've previously discussed how the technology was developed and how it works. Today, we're going to find out how the Calix technology can be used for carbon capture, utilisation and storage, and how it's helping industries create better environmental outcomes. And my guest is Calix's General Manager of Cement Decarbonisation, Daniel Rennie. Before he joined Calix, Dan helped establish the Global Carbon Capture and Storage Institute in Europe. And he also managed the European Commission's uh, uh, CCS Demonstration Project Network. Before that, he worked in the electricity industry. So, you know, he knows stuff. He joined Calix in 2014 to develop and coordinate the LILAC projects, uh, which are major projects to develop and demonstrate new and efficient ways of capturing carbon in the cement and lime industry. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for joining us. We've heard previously how Calix's technology can separate carbon dioxide from minerals. Can you just give us a, a quick reminder of how that incredibly complex process works? Absolutely. And, and the context, because this is very much for the cement industry and uh, for lime production too. And so this is with, with to pr- produce cement or pr- to produce lime, it needs to use limestone, which is a mineral, and almost half of that by its weight is released as CO2. So this is very much about processing that and effectively by using indirect heating. So we drop this limestone down these special heated tubes uh, that ensure that the CO2 released from that limestone is not contaminated. So it doesn't get mixed up with air or heating gases. And so we just get a pure stream of CO2 out of the top and then process material down the bottom. So there's different ways of separating carbon. What's the benefit of of Calix's technology? There are lots of different ways of separating carbon. carbon, oxy-fuel or post-combustion, which uses solvents such as amines, um, and these all separate gases from gases. They all require either a different, uh, additional chemicals or processes or energy, but this, this calyx uh, technology being, being developed in lilac uh, doesn't use any additional energy compared to a conventional plant. And it doesn't require those extra processes or energy. Therefore, in theory, once it's uh, applied at school, we uh, at full scale, we really should be able to to um, capture this unavoidable process CO two for very low cost. So there's lots of different. Uh stories, opinions about carbon capture, utilisation and storage, almost ranging from it'll save the world to the devil's work. Um, what's your view? Yeah, there are two main main ones uh, are that it's also that it's unproven and that it's expensive. 
um, coming to the, the unproven bit, first of all, it's actually separating of carbon is, is used in lots of industries anyway. Um, and that the storage of this CO2 has, has been occurring at huge scale since the 1970s. Uh, in North America and in the 1990s in, in the offshore uh, offshore North Sea uh, with, with the Sleipner plant actually capturing and storing safely over 20 million tonnes of CO2 to date. And, and that's wow. for natural gas processing. So in terms of um, is it unproven? Well, it, it is proven. We can do it safely. And in terms of it being expensive, um, yes, it, it can be expensive, but... It is expensive when there's no cost for emitting that CO2. So anything's expensive. Um, but but we're um, a lot has changed in the past uh, few years. Uh, we're really uh, a lot of different incentives are being put in place and new technologies such as Calyxes, which is really bringing the cost down dramatically. So what are some of the industries you mentioned, one or two, uh, where carbon capture, utilisation and storage have been used and, and where and, uh, and industries perhaps where it could be used more? Yeah, so so carbon capture and storage can be applied to any plant that really emits CO two, uh, particularly the power sector. Um, but it's it's been used to date in natural gas processing, chemical fields, um, uh, ammonia production. Um, but for Calyx's technology, it's very much uh, this ILUC application is for the cement industry, and the cement industry is responsible for around eight percent of global CO two emissions. And it's very difficult to abate that, that, to get rid of or change those those emissions because they come from the limestone itself. Uh, so that's a, a really big target. Um, the lime sector, we, we don't really talk very much about because it, it's a component in lots of different things. So by decarbonizing lime, that lime is used to produce steel, iron, uh, chemicals, paper, food, pharmaceuticals, so and glass, and so it's really used in a lot of industries as well. So, looking at the project you're involved with, capturing carbon in the cement and lime industry, tell us a little more about how that works. Well, th- this this lilac approach just simply replaces the part of the plant where that CO two is emitted. So the Lilac 2 project is uh, proving that this can be retrofitted to existing plant, that it can be scaled up effectively, and developing a module that can be quickly and easily replicated. So Lilac 2 will be capturing around 20% of a plant's emissions, and that will form the blueprint for going to 100% and then rolled out globally pretty quickly. Wow. And I asked you before about industries that, that carbon capture might be used in. What about... Countries, uh, how many countries are currently doing at least some of it? Well, uh, yeah, for, certainly for the capturing, it, it's occurring globally. Uh, it is used in natural gas processing. It's used in the chemical uh, industry extensively. Um, in terms of carbon capture and storage, uh, well, uh, in terms of that capture, there's been a lot of research and development into the power sector. Uh, but again, that is expensive uh, just due to the fact that there have been no strong incentives to develop it uh, and, and roll it out. And what we've seen with solar and renewables, how effective those incentives can be. Um, so again, that, that that's all coming, um, but that is required to, to drive those costs down. And, and you say that the Calyx technology is energy agnostic. What does that mean? Well, 
effectively, we just need to heat up these steel tubes um, that we... You don't care how you do it. We don't care how we do it. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So we can use any, any energy or fuel source. We'll be using natural gas and coal and conventional things like that. But, but also alternative fuels, wastes that society can't use otherwise, but also far cleaner fuels and future fuels like hydrogen, biomass and electricity. What would a zero emission plant look like? You talked about capturing 100%. What, what would that look like? Well, we, we'll be capturing a using this lilac approach. It captures 100% of the process emissions to get to zero emissions that fuel side, that heating of the tube needs to have a, a zero emissions uh, as well. So if it's using electricity or hydrogen or biomass with a lilac system, that's zero emissions. So that's a very cheap and effective way of doing it. Alternatively, if it's using fuels that, um, that do emit carbon, uh, such as uh, coals or some of those wastes, it can actually be combined with other carbon capture technologies which can suddenly be a lot smaller to just capture those fuel emissions and we see that as being the lowest way of getting to, to zero emissions or even negative emissions um, cement or lime production and, and are there benefits to using electrical power well as long as it's from a renewable source then then mm. it's that's the, the really simple way of getting to to zero emissions um, but so it's a very clean, simple uh, energy source to, to use with our technology. But uh, we can actually use this as a hybrid approach, which is uh, very interesting. Oh, right. So that's electricity mm. and fuel. How does that work? That, that, that's right. So that, that's when, for example, whatever the host uses or wants to use, uh, that the, the host plant could be using these alternative fuels for 90 or 95% of the time. And then when the grid wants, it could very quickly switch to electricity. So normally when um, with electricity, electricity needs to be generated to the level that people actually use it. Uh, it's very difficult for the grid to get rid of more electricity than, than people need, need on, on the grid. Um, and so with every grid needs this balancing uh, at somewhere to send excess electricity and with renewables that might be generating more energy at, at awkward times of the day, uh, this provides a real service to the grid by, by load balancing, by stabilizing that grid. And uh, it's, a, it's a real benefit to any grid, um, but particularly with those with a lot of renewable sources of power on them. And, and could increase the viability of renewables. Absolutely, because it allows more renewables to be introduced and used on the grid because they know that it's not going to break, uh, break anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what about competitors when it comes to the Calix technology for carbon dioxide capture? That uh, There are really quite a lot. There are a huge number of different approaches for doing uh, capturing carbon. They, they all need to be applied. They're, they're all at different technology technology readiness um some are more developed uh than than others they do all need to be um uh, applied we don't really see them as competitors because again they can be used in conjunction with this lilac approach and that provides a really low cost uh, way of getting to, to zero negative emissions uh, cement and lime so, so when you talk about low cost we're talking about big industrial technology so I guess even low cost is, you know, <laughs> to, to many of us high cost, but low cost in proportion to all the other costs. Is it expensive? Is it commercially viable for industries to capture carbon in this way? 
That's a very good question. Um, I suppose from a consumer's point of view, if you're building your house, um, doing any of these carbon capture technologies would, would be an in- a tiny increase to the, the cost of your house um, from, from building it from, from with cement. Um, but, but coming to, to what an industrial provide, um, uh, producer means and what that means to be expensive... Um, to, to date, the, the, emit, the cost of emitting carbon has been quite low, um, usually in the, the 5 to 10 euros or dollars per, per tonne of, of CO2, if, if, it, if there's that cost at all. Um, we're looking at uh, a changing scenario where in Europe today, uh, it costs around 50 euros a tonne to emit uh, one tonne of CO2 into the atmosphere. With this lilac approach, we're aiming to capture and uh, have all of the costs of compression and capital uh, for around 25 euros per tonne. So that's, uh, and that's significantly lower than any cost of capture has been um, done in the past. So that, that's really what we're aiming to do. We do need to do quite a lot of work to, to get there. Um, but that's what we're aiming for with lilac 2 as a first of a kind retrofit and certainly at full scale. And then that really becomes, that's becoming commercially viable as long as there is something to do with that CO2 afterwards. Yes, well, that brings us, okay, you've separated the CO2. Uh, what happens then? And, and Where is a, it? That, that's a really key, key issue. Um, so that there are two ways, um, one of which it can be used. Um, CO2 is used today. It's used um, in, in, the, um, in different, different sectors and they can provide an income, particularly to these early movers or where there isn't any cost for emitting the CO2. Uh, but usually that CO2 does eventually make its way into the atmosphere, depending on the use. So I'm just curious, where, what, what industries are using it? Uh, well, uh, it can, the food industry is a typical one. So for, for your beer or your soda, um, that mm. will use CO2. Um, it can also be combined uh, with energy to, to make new fuels as replacements uh, for, for fuels. Um, but again, uh, those volumes of CO2 are relatively small compared to the yeah. cement industry and the CO2 will eventually reach the atmosphere. Um, other examples. Well, I'm just thinking about a listener who's wondering whether they should have a beer or not. They think if I have a beer, I'll get rid of some CO2. But on the other hand, it'll be inside them, and it'll it'll still be emitted in some form, won't it? At some point, but um, we, we really shouldn't res- restrict beer drinking. Um, <laughs> but it's certainly a good use of CO2, and can encourage the um, more industries to start capturing their CO2. All right. So, so yeah, bigger scale. What one way of using the CO2 is to is to I guess sell it to an industry that is going to use it. What else? Well, to to actually store the CO2 to to ensure that it doesn't reach the atmosphere. And again, we're we're talking about um, many hundreds, thousands of millions of tons of CO2 that will need to be um, stopped uh, from from reaching the atmosphere. There are a number of ways of doing that. One is to actually rebind it, uh, to mineralize it, and it can actually be used in building products. Um, so there's a really neat circular economy with the cement industry in particular where uh, it can be bound in building products or bound with recycled concrete fines or cement fines, and that, that stores the CO2. The, the trouble is that's only still um, under development, and even at, at 
full scale, that's only going to, to do a, a proportion of, of the CO2 that the cement industry generates. The alternative is actually to store it in the subsurface. Uh, so well, two kilometers beneath the ground, uh, really, really deep in either hydrocarbon fields. So when all of the natural gas or oil has been taken out, um, we know that those gases have been stored for millions of years. And so that CO2 can just effectively go back to where it's come from. And, um, and how would it actually get there from uh, the calyx, you know, separation process? Physically, how does it get there? Uh, it, well, lots of different ways. Um, it, it, when it gets to that store, it would just be uh, injected down into a deep well. Uh, and to get it from the plant to that well, uh, it can be by, for small volumes, it'd be by trucks or by trains, and for bigger volumes, by barges, ships, and, and pipelines, ultimately. It is kind of weird to think that you might see a train going by and well, I wonder what's in there, and it's carbon dioxide. It's yeah, it strange, be, isn't it? it? It could be the CO2 that, that's been part of your house or the b- bridge that you're driving over, and that's the CO2 that's uh, just going off to be um, safely stored somewhere. And then a couple of weeks later, you might drink it in a beer. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so it's safe to store carbon dioxide? Yes, but very safe. So um, we, we talked about depleted hydrocarbon fields. They're, they're safe. Uh, the other big one are, de- are saline aquifers. So these are uh, really very deep, very, very large stores that can, that can hold all of the unavoid- unavoidable um, process emissions for, forever. Um, just to, it's a very highly regulated industry. Uh, again, just talking about Europe, they've got something called the European Union Storage Directive. Every single country here has had to put this into their legislation, ensuring that there are regulators there, that it's safe and that it's constantly monitored. And there's a lot of experience in, in this gas storage. So, um, yes, it's a very safe activity. And how might this sort of carbon capture contribute to the 2030 targets? Well, well, any any plant that can apply this carbon capture um, and storage or, or use and storage uh, does contribute to the 2030 targets. Every every um, plant is the equivalent of tens, hundreds of thousands of cars being taken off the road. Um, but at a, at a bigger scale, and particularly for 2050, uh, carbon capture and storage is going to have to be applied to industrial unavoidable emissions at enormous scale. Um, so the, the IPCC, they, they've done lots of modelling. They can't really model it to get for us to get to where we need to be without carbon capture and storage. Uh, in fact, to just quote, quote them, actually, uh, um, CCS plays a major role in decarbonising the industrial sector in the context of 1.5 and 2 degrees C pathways, especially in cement. Um, so again, it, it, there's nothing we can do do to avoid these CO2 emissions, we really have to address them. Yeah, yeah. And and look, just project 15, 20 years in the future, be a bit optimistic and bullish about your technology. No one's going to listen to this in 20 years, so you're not really accountable if you get it wrong. But how far do you think you can get um, with carbon capture using the Calyx technology? Where could we be in 20 years with it? Well, I, I think we could be in a place where we are decarbonizing on almost every single cement plant globally. So we're, we've got this in mind. Um, Calyx is designing this 
technology to be blueprinted, that it's actually taken up and used by local engineers um, just cheaply and, and quickly everywhere. So as long as there are those incentives to, to not emit the CO2, as long as there is that, uh, that there's somewhere to put it, uh, and that does require uh, government support and societal support to ensure that we do decarbonize, but uh, we really should be uh, aiming very strongly to decarbonize every single cement plant uh, and capture and it's a, around 2 billion tonnes of CO2 per year uh, by 2050. So it's a, a huge, huge uh, job in front of us. Yeah. So I sense you, you feel a sense of, of mission and it's an important mission, isn't it? I mean, you know, when you have a bad day at work, does that sense of being on an important mission, doing something that could be quite important for the world, keep you going? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a great pleasure to, to be working uh, in this industry. Um, if I'm personally having a bad day, I don't worry too much because there's a, a superb team of people, um, both within Calix and all of our partners, um, really working very hard on it. Um, but yeah, it's a really great pleasure to, to, to really uh, work towards our futures. And, and with the process of decarbonizing both in the cement industry and others what do, what do you feel is the biggest challenge over the next few years I, I think the biggest challenge is to ensure that there is that transport and storage infrastructure so we're getting to the point where we should be able to capture this unavoidable co2 emissions cheaply and efficiently um, but as long as there are those incentives to do so and there's somewhere to store it um, that that's really the big challenge and that really does require it, it's not something the, the cement industry alone can do it really does require a governmental and wider societal support to to drive this forward and ensure that we we can address these are our, our society's unavoidable missions so i guess every government's different but where you where you are in france is uh are you, is the government getting to the to the right place with that well, uh, uh, yes, it is. Uh, again, the, the, uh, and I, I th I've got a lot of hope globally um, that, that the French government is doing it is is doing a good job. But actually, globally, with the commitment to the the twenty fifty Paris Agreement, and uh, which was ratified in a, a effectively by every country, um, we are on the route to getting there. And uh, this is just a, an inevitable part of it. Um, different countries will move faster or slower. Um, but as long as the technology is there in place to give viable solutions, um, then then it, it, it really does set up a pathway that enables societies to, to decarbonise and, and governments to move. Dan, you've answered every question that I had. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Wherever you wherever you are and whoever you are, um, really do just ask questions of, of, of us, the industry, um, the, your politicians, because um, we, we really do need to uh, decarbonise. It's one of the, the big challenges that we've got as a society and uh, really would just encourage um, dialogue if we can have it. And, uh, mm. Well, I mean, that's a particularly important message now, actually, with the pandemic and, you know, people all around the world, their mind has been focused on the thing they're most anxious about, which for many people has been COVID. Um, uh, and sometimes when that happens, you forget about the thing you were anxious about before, which for many people, rightly so, was, was global war warming. And uh, so, yeah, it's, an, it's a timely message to say that we are smart enough and our brains are big enough to start to worry about two things at once. 
Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, we're all starting to feel it now um, with with the climate changes that we're, we're seeing. So I think it's becoming very real and present, um, unfortunately. Um, but yes, uh, we, we do have the knowledge, we've got the technology and, uh, and uh, we know where to go. So it's, it's, it's looking positive. That's a great note, a great optimistic note to end on, Dan. Thank you so much. Really interesting to talk to you. Thank you. Oh, great pleasure. Thank you.